Proverbs 6, Warnings Against Folly. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard, when you will get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Amen. At a pastor conference a few weeks ago, all the pastors were excitedly sharing what was going on at their church that they were serving in. And one pastor stood up and he said, I am having a wonderful time at my church. He said, I have had four new families come to our church in the last month. And everyone said, well, that's wonderful. That's great news. And then the second pastor stood up. And he said, well, we've been having a good time, too. I have had six new families this month come to my church. And everyone said, wow, that's wonderful news. And then the third pastor stood up to share news of her church. And she said, well, I haven't seen numeric growth, she said, but I have seen spiritual growth. She said, We've actually lost 10 of the most disagreeable, cantankerous, and difficult families in our church. And it's like a whole new church. And everyone just stood there and said, oh, oh. That begs the question, why do we go to church? Why do we come to church every week? Music, friendships, 
Does it make us feel better about ourselves? Oh, I went to church this week. I did. I went to church. See, we're not supposed to come to church to fine-tune our righteousness. We're not supposed to come to church to airbrush our appearances, putting on fake masks, pretending like our lives are perfect. That's not why we come in here. We come because we want to grow. We come because we want to change. We want to know as much about God as he will tell us. And we want to know as much about ourselves as he will tell us. We want his extreme grace so we can have an extreme makeover. One wise step at a time. The last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Proverbs. We've been studying wisdom and its role in our lives. Proverbs gives us a look at godliness dressed up in everyday clothes. It gives us practical things to do for the real issues that we face every day. It leads us to good decisions, good paths and good outcomes. And in our text this morning, we're given warnings against certain behaviors that will lead us down bad paths and to not just bad outcomes, but destructive outcomes. We'll call it liabilities, laziness, and lying. Because the writer starts out with a warning about putting up security for somebody and shaking hands in a pledge for them. In modern terms, what we would call that is simply co-signing for a loan. It's a warning about putting yourself up as collateral for someone else's debt. God is saying in verses 1 and 2 that you've already, if you've done this, you aren't just in danger of being ensnared. You're already ensnared. Get out of it. Get out of the arrangement now. Think about it. If the person isn't qualifying for credit, if they could qualify, if they were good enough, they wouldn't need you to co-sign for a loan. Even the government's Federal Trade Commission website warns about co-signing for someone else's loan. But, Pastor, aren't we called to be generous? Aren't we called to help? Yes, a resounding yes, we are called to be generous and we are called to help people in need. That's one of the defining characteristics of a follower of Jesus. Because God has been generous to us. Even in the Old Testament, God called his people to be generous. Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, Do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice if the banks followed that one? Leviticus 25, verses 35 through 37. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or profit from them, but fear your God. 
so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at profit. You see, we can't use this text in Proverbs to say, oh, see, that's why I can't give people money. That's why I can't give people on the corner money. Because look, this verse says that's not what this verse is talking about. Scripture is very clear. Generosity is a trait and a characteristic of a follower of Christ. There's, there's no arguing that point. But God does not want us to gamble our future for somebody else. That's what this is talking about. When you co-sign a loan, you're putting your financial future in the hands of someone else. As someone that the banks has already said is a bad risk. Scripture says the borrower is slave to the lender. And when you co-sign for someone else, you become a slave to them and their lender. You put your character at risk for the sake of another. You put yourself liable for another person's actions. And God is clear. We are to be responsible for our own actions. Galatians 6. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. We are each responsible for our own conduct. Romans 14. Yes, each of you will give a personal account to God. Personal account to God. It is not our job to step in and put our character at risk for someone else. But is it possible to be generous and wise at the same time? Of course. I had a friend a few years back who had a young person come to her. This young person had had a, a difficult life, and she was trying to pull her life together. And she decided that she wanted to go back to school. And so she came to my friend and she said, I need a loan so I can go to school. Would you help me get this loan? Will you co-sign on a loan for me so I can get money to go back to school? And my friend had a battle. Oh, I want to help. I want to help her. But I'm not sure if that's the right way to do it. And so she prayed about it, and she prayed about it. And it just sat there very uncomfortably in her gut. And went to her, this young person, and she said, I can't. I cannot co-sign on this loan for you. She said, but this is what I can do for you. My friend told her, I will help you fill out the financial aid application. I will help you fill out the application for school. I will help you. I will walk you through the process of filling out that financial aid application. And I will get you that plane ticket so that you can get to school across the country so you can start your new life. 
And that's exactly what my friend did. Six months later, this young person decided that college was not for her and decided to drop out and never went back. Had my friend co-signed on a loan for this person, it could have been disastrous. So it's possible to still be generous and wise at the same time. She didn't step back and say, no, I can't help you. She stepped in and said, this is the way that I can help you. Wise decisions, wisdom. It's all right here. God's laid it out for us. When we're wise with our decisions, God gives us the opportunity to make an impact. And that's where the writer of Proverbs goes next to show us the opportunities that lay out before us if we choose it. Verse 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Sluggard. Sluggard. You know, the New Living Translation just changes that word to lazy bones. And I thought, lazy bones? Talk about sugarcoating the word there. Lazy bones just doesn't cut it. Sluggard has power behind it. Sluggard has impact. Whoa, slug, you are a slug. You, 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 me, we are slugs. Ew. That hits a lot harder than, oh, don't be a lazy bones. What a difference. Sluggard. Do you ever remember that Hanes commercial years and years back where they would hold the bottle of ketchup up here and wait and wait and wait and wait till the ketchup finally slowly oozed its way out of the bottle? That's a sluggard. You wait and you wait and you wait for them to move, to do something to make a decision, to do something. Their life motto is, oh, I'll get to it. What's the rush? Don't rush me. The sluggard is lazy, always making the easy choice, or maybe no choice at all. The sluggard loses one opportunity after another, after another, day in and day out moment by moment until they just lie there in a wasted life. It sounds terrible. Who wants to do that? But if we're honest with ourselves, there's a sluggard deep inside every one of us, which is why this warning is so important and why the sluggard is mentioned 14 times in the book of Proverbs. We learn a lot about the sluggard in Proverbs. Even here in verse 9, it says, How long are you going to lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? The sluggard has no answer. He's not committing to any choice. None. It's just 
Making no choice is easier. So the sluggard is not motivated to do much of anything. We call it procrastination. We put a nice word on it, like lazy bones. If we said, I'm in slug mode, rather than I'm procrastinating, that would have a different impact on the way we approach things, wouldn't it? Slug mode. But we have gotten really good at procrastination. And then we hide it in Christianese. How often have you heard someone in the church say, Oh, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you. Some people are really praying about it. But sometimes we just use that as an avoidance tactic. Let me pray about it. And then we just kind of tuck it back, knowing that we will never pray about it. We've already made our decision. We just don't want to tell someone because we don't want conflict. We don't want to face the reality. It's easier as the sluggard to put it back and not deal with it. If by chance the sluggard does get motivated to do something, sometimes it's just too much. It's just too much. And so the impulse to keep going forward stops. Proverbs 26, 15 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard wants someone to feed him. Oh, 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 it's just too much work. Oh, 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 can't do it. He doesn't stick with anything to completion. Once he gets into the actual work and bumps up against some difficulty or some resistance, all motivation goes away. And the sluggard goes back to the easy way. Now, I can laugh about this, but I, am, I, I have a lot of projects that I've started at home, and they're not finished. So I am a sluggard. I will admit it. How many projects do each of you have in your house right now? A pile of half-read books. A host of home projects that are still waiting for the final touches. Multiple promises that you've said, oh, I'll do this, I'll do this, and then you let it go, you forgot. A collection maybe of notes that you started to write to people, but then you just got distracted. How often do you get ready to send a note or a card to someone? You get distracted, and then you find it months later. Oh, I thought I mailed that. How about that gym membership that you haven't used since August of last year? Sluggard. We start projects, and we don't finish. We start out, yay, I'm going to do this. And then something shiny over here catches our attention, so we go that way. Or something shiny over here, so we go that way. 
Meanwhile, the opportunity that was before us goes by the wayside. Another characteristic of the sluggard is the inability to see things as they really are. When they face challenges, the sluggard makes up excuses. Proverbs 22:13 says, "The sluggard says, "There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets." The lion is in the plains. The lion is not sitting outside your door on Main Street waiting to devour you. Sluggards like excuses. When confronted with hard decisions, when we're confronted with hard conversations, what we do is we turn to diversions. We turn to entertainment to take our mind off the work before us. We may even say, oh, they have their head in the sand. They're not recognizing anything. That's the reality of what's going on. I saw a quote this week that said, Netflix is the opiate of the sluggard. We could really say that about every electronic device. How often have you been out at a restaurant and across from you at another table as a family? A wonderful family. But every one of them, parents and kids, even grandparents sometimes, they're all on their own device. There's no conversation. They're all just clicking away on their phones. Nobody talking to each other, but absorbed in their own little social media world. Sometimes conversations are hard. But we don't solve any problems by ignoring communication. In fact, all we do is create more of them. Proverbs 21 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor, and all day long he craves and craves. You see, the sluggard longs to be useful. The sluggard longs to be productive and accomplished in life. But because of the unwillingness to work, because of the unwillingness to do hard things, the sluggard finds himself in a perpetual state of craving without fulfillment. It's contrary to the way we were designed. We were designed to work. We were designed to build and to create, just like our Father in heaven. So the sluggard finds himself constantly restless, constantly in a state of anxiety, of this want and craving to do something, but not doing it. Do you ever wonder why video games are so popular? Games like Minecraft and Lego World, even Pokemon. They're because our minds like to be active. Our minds like to keep going. We like to build and we like to be creative. And though in those games we are keeping our minds active, we are being very productive. 
In a virtual world, there's not a lot of productivity. There's a whole world out there. A whole world that's in need of Jesus. A whole world that just needs ears to listen. Hearts that care. Lips to encourage. Hands to help. Making excuses for our inaction is not living the abundant life. That's not fulfilling our purpose in Christ. But now that we see a bit of sluggard in ourselves, what do we do with it? Proverbs tells us, go to the ant. Go to the ant. How humiliating. How humbling. The tiniest of creatures, the ant, has a lesson for us. The ones that were created in the image of God, the ones who have been granted rule over creation, are told to go to the ant, the lowliest of creatures, to see how to live. What do we learn from the ant? The ant has no commander. He has no overseer and no ruler. The ant has an inner motivation. There's no boss ant telling the others what to do or making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. They just have an innate ability to work, and they don't stop until their work is done. The first part of verse 8 says, It stores its provisions in summer. Ants aren't afraid of hard work. That's what they were designed to do. And they love it. Have you ever seen an ant just sit there? No. They're always doing something. You ever enjoy a picnic outside? Until you start to notice the trail of ants coming to eat your potato chips, only to leave and come back for your cupcakes and cookies at dessert? They're always always working. Do you ever try to fill in their ant holes or flood it with water to stop them? In no time, it's built back up. You cannot stop ants. I know in my house, plastic bags doesn't stop the ants. Glass jars with lids, it doesn't stop the ants. Somehow, they still find a way. Are we that willing to work our hands for God? Are we that willing to serve our Lord? The second part of verse 8 says that it gathers its food at the harvest. The ant prepares today for tomorrow. It doesn't just hope for the best. Do you remember the tale of the ant and the grasshopper from your school days? The ant spends its summer harvesting and preparing while the grasshopper plays and sings its days away. And then winter comes. The ant is living off of its storage, and the grasshopper is left wanting and hungry. That's why the ant story matters, because there is a winter storm coming for every one of us. Are you stockpiling 
the word of God? Are you stockpiling this here in your heart? Are you preparing yourself for the winter? Because it's coming. It's always coming. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Are you prepared? A year from now, are you going to look back and see that you're more fruitful now than you were? What is your growth plan? Is it more like the sluggard, indecisive, inactive, a master procrastinator? Or is your growth plan more like the ant, seizing those opportunities that God has placed before you? Spending time with God and his word. So that when the winter comes, you're prepared to endure, to persevere. You see, in he- a healthy church, it's like an anthill. Everyone doing their part. Everyone actively working together for the good of the kingdom. See, wise people love goals. They love strategies. And they use their present circumstances to propel them into God's future and God's plans. But the sluggard procrastinates. He takes each precious moment of God-given life as no big deal. He isn't astounded over the grace of God. He's not astounded of what God is giving him. One more moment to live. The sluggard thinks very little of those moments and squanders them away. Pastor Raymond Ortland describes it this way. Our danger is not that we become criminals, but rather that we become respectable, decent commonplace, mediocre Christians. There are temptations all around us trying to sap our spiritual power. The television, the cell phones, the foods, the easy chair, the credit card. The Christian wins or loses in those seemingly innocent moments of decision. The sluggard settles for a little and then makes excuses for why life is passing him by. The writer of Proverbs says, stop making excuses. God has given you his best in Jesus Christ. And what are you going to do with Jesus? Are we praying, Lord, Help me make my life make a difference. Lord, make my life a miracle for you. If we were living that way, then there wouldn't be this final warning in our text. Starting in verse 12, a troublemaker and a villain 
who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. In other words, destruction comes and that's it. There's no second chance. The Bible calls a disruptive, sneaky person worthless. In fact, the actual Hebrew word used here is used in the New Testament as well to describe Satan himself. Lying and sowing discord in the body is seen as behavior equivalent to Satan. Look how intensely the Lord feels about this behavior. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The Lord despises haughty, disdainful eyes because their arrogance sows discord among brothers. Oh, I'm better than you. I've been a Christian longer than you, so that means I'm better. Those are haughty eyes. You wore that to church? Haughty eyes. It's arrogance. And all it does is sow discord in the community. The Lord despises a lying tongue because of how the gossip and slander sows discord in the community. Have you ever thought about why we lie? We lie to achieve a goal, a self-centered goal. We lie to promote ourselves. We boost our image up before other people. We get some benefit for ourselves. I'm only this old. Or maybe you really want that senior discount over at Walmart, so you're going to say, I'm this old. We take it as, oh, it's just a little white lie. It doesn't matter. No such thing. We lie to promote and protect ourselves, even at the expense of others. Lying sows discord and harmony, disharmony. The Lord hates disunity with a passion. It is detestable to him, but he delights in the unity of his children. Psalm 133 says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. In Christian unity, there is blessing and there is life. Christ himself dwells in the midst of unity. One of his last prayers before his crucifixion was for unity of his followers. 
I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Jesus prayed that right before his arrest and his crucifixion. Is unity important? Very much. Disunity, when brothers and sisters cannot get along, it breaks our Father's heart. And it's not just within churches, it's between churches, between denominations. The world looks at us when we don't get along and says, who are you people? The atheists over here are getting along much better than you Christians are. You call yourself Christians, but I don't see Christ. Forget putting Christ back in Christmas. How about we put Christ back in Christians? Would that be a marvelous idea? Unity. We need to come together, encouraging, not breaking apart. Through unity, we're showing that Jesus makes life sweet. Through unity, we're saying to all the divisiveness and selfishness in the world, Jesus is our Lord. You have no power over us. Jesus does. Unity shows us separate and holy, set apart from the world. See, we have the power to show Jesus to the world when we live in strong and joyous unity. And then we come right back. Proverbs brought us right back to Jesus again. Proverbs is always pointing us back to Jesus. Because Jesus is the wisdom that we need. Jesus is the model for the way that we need to live. Proverbs points us out to the sin in our lives. But it also shows us the hope that we have through Jesus. Proverbs is a call for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Look to him. See how he personified humility, generosity, decisive action, good deeds, truth-telling, always in love. In a passion for unity. Jesus, who made himself nothing, even though he was God. He humbled himself to the level of a servant. Even to the level of a criminal. To redeem us. To set us free. To show us how to live right. We need to fall in love with Jesus. Then you'll discover that you can love what God loves. You can hate what God hates. Only then will you get a vision of what your life could be. The same life that's described in Proverbs. A wise life. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word reveals our hearts before you. We thank you that as we come this morning, that you have revealed yourself through your word, but you've also revealed ourselves. You've given us a glimpse into what's in us that we need to change, Lord. You've revealed to us what needs to be transformed. Father, I I pray as we leave this place, you give us courage to step out of sluggard mode. You give us the strength to decide to be active for you. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see those as we leave this place that need the ears that will just listen, that need the lips of encouragement, that need hearts to care, and the hands that will help. Thank you for Jesus. In his holy name.